The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray Garendi, an old-fashioned dad, trapped in a psychologist's body with all the psychologist's education. I spent half my time in graduate school with one eyebrow raised, thinking, where's that coming from? Where is that theory coming from? This is Look Back Friday, and I will get to my monologue shortly. But I want to tell a story about my grad period. I minored in counseling. I majored in clinical psychology as my graduate degree, but counseling was my minor. So I had to take a certain number of counseling courses. One of my courses, the prof was talking about we digest information the same way we digest food. If we chew our food slowly, swallow a little bit at a time, then we're critical hearers. We hear what's coming in, we hear the information, and we digest it slowly. We don't swallow it whole. On the other hand, if we take huge bites, wash them down, then that parallels how we approach information, kind of uncritically. So I raised my hand, and I said, uh, is there any research backing this up? Is there anything that makes this connection? And he said to me, now keep in mind this was a counseling course, so we weren't sitting at desks. No, we were leaning against the wall around the room. I was paying big bucks for this. He said, uh, Ray, I noticed that you're, you're leaning back. You're leaning back against the wall. That tells me that you're a little unsure of your question. Okay, so I, I straightened up. I went up and down, 90 degrees. Said, uh, okay, is there any evidence that can, make, that can make this connection? And he said, why are you asking? Is this, is this something that is a threat to the way that you interpret information? I said, uh, now at this point, I'm what am I, 24 years old, something like that, 23, this guy's, I thought he was an old, old man, he's probably in his 50s. When you're 24, everybody above 30 is old. 
I asked the question again, and he commented again on my posture. I gave up. I gave up. But I wished I would have had, and you can do this in counseling classes. You can bring food in with you because you can do anything you want. Wish I'd have had a big sandwich from, say, one of the fast food places. And I would have looked at him and taken the biggest bite out of this sandwich that I could have taken and just would have leaned back. All right. Ah, to the manologue, to the manologue. There are many reasons why people ignore the faith question. Is there a God? Is Jesus God? What does God want? I mean, probably the majority of people ignore that question. At any depth, they ignore it anyway. Many reasons. Here's one. I'm a good person. See that a lot from people. Implication being, uh, I do well enough uh, to get into heaven. I'm I'm fine. Now, <clears throat> laying aside what God has told us about us being unable to earn heaven with our conduct, and that in fact the price was paid by Jesus. Lay, lay that aside. Let's just look at. I'm a good person. I ask folks when they say this, I go, what, what does that mean? Typically, they will say they, they follow the law, essentially. They, they follow the cultural rules. Then I will ask them. I'd say, okay, then in um, extreme Islam, it is considered a good thing to sacrifice oneself in a cause to hurt others in a cause. Would they be good persons? Well, they believe they are. So then, all you have to do is believe what you're doing is a good person and you're a good person. There are many people in prison who believe what they did was extremely justified. Is that good? Well, not, now see, you're comparing me to really extremes. I don't do anything like that. I'm just a good person. Who decides good? To say you're a good person means there's a standard that you're living up to. What is the standard? What is that? There are people who believe that it is very, very good to kill a baby in a womb. There are people who believe it's very, very wrong to kill a baby in a womb. Which is it? Which one makes you a good person? There are people who believe that you can leave your wife and kids, and if that makes you happy, that's good. People who believe if you believe you leave your wife and kids, you're betraying them. You're leaving your commitment for some other happiness direction. Is that good? I sometimes say to the person, I believe you are 100% good. And they'll look at me like, what are you talking about? Nobody's 100% good. I know you're 100% good. And the reason is you define good. Since you say you're a good person, this is your rule. You make the rule. Therefore, whatever you do is good. You've decided. You leave your wife and kids, that's good. Because you decided it is. Very few people say, 
I'm going to do something really, really bad, but I don't care. I want to do it anyway. Very few people say that. They justify what they're doing is good. It's a good thing. St. Thomas talks about that. So when someone says, I'm a good person, they are asking you to ask them questions. What is good? Do you define good? Typically, they mean some very vague sense of, I don't break the law, I pay my taxes, I don't really cause any trouble for too many people. The fact that they might not have spoken to their mother for seven years because they have hostility toward her does not make them not a good person. Why? Well, because they, they're right in not talking to their mother. She deserves to not be talked to, given the way she's been, who she is. Therefore, what I'm doing is good. I've defined it as good. Very few people say, I'm a wretched person for totally doing this to my mother, but, you know, I don't really care. I don't care. No, they say what I'm doing is good. My mother doesn't deserve me to try to be tolerant toward her. I'm a good person is one of the most nonsense pieces that somebody can say especially when they use it as a justification that, therefore, I'm right with God. Sometimes I will say, however gently, well, I guess you better hope that God thinks like you do. That his idea of good is the same as yours. Anybody who says, I'm a good person. I had a a woman say to me once, good people, truly good people, don't say they're good people. Somebody who says, I'm a good person, has a lot of holes in that statement. All right, when we come back, I'm looking at the uh, look back calls up there, a wide variety of look back calls. We'll see which ones we address first. I'm Dr. A. Program, The Doctor is In. Because I'm a doctor, that's how I know. This is Conversations with Consequences, where we delve deeper into issues affecting our church, our country, and our core, the family. As Catholics, we need to be informed, aware, and able to talk through some of the tough topics that we're facing in our culture and in our world. Conversations with Consequences gives us the tools to do so. It's not enough to pray. We have to be a light for the world. Conversations with Consequences, tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Underwritten in part by this not-for-profit. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. 
Ciao, amici. Hello, friends. Teresa Tamio here. Ever notice that common sense isn't so common anymore? Each time we check our news feeds or turn on the TV, it seems the world is getting wackier. While we desperately need a return to basic common sense. And Rosie Posey, my mom, a street smart theologian from Jersey City, is just the person we need to help us restore it. So if you need a little bit more help with some common sense or know someone else who needs it, pick out my new book on our store, Everything's Coming Up Rosie, at AveMariaRadio.net's online store. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. program look back friday idea we came up with many years ago take some previous calls that uh, are asking for embellishment or asking for extrapolation all of them could could obviously head into hours of therapy if the persons would so choose in certain circumstances not all calls of course but we can't do that here but we can we can add a little to certain calls and that's what look back Friday is for to add a little to certain calls Morgan it's a female uh, is is real nervous I mean she's looking at her adult son with her grandchild and she sees a lot of things that 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 unsettle her and she's wondering what if anything she might do well he's 28 and he's had um, quite the series of events since he was 16 and now he's a dad of a four-year-old autistic boy uh, my grandson his wife has um, left him and she has signed off all her rights to my grandson so i have stepped in to help but now it's become um, and I've set boundaries of, no, I'm not paying for that, not doing for that. But he's learned, I guess, um, if he says he needs money for rent or food or for something for Oliver, that I will oblige. But now it's come to the point where um, my husband's just like, you need to quit. You need to stop helping him. So I don't want any more conflict with my husband. At the same time, I don't want Oliver, the grandson, to suffer. Is Oliver with you? No, I help take him to school in the morning. He goes to an autistic school. When your son asks for money, how does he how does he phrase it? Um, usually along the line of, um, "Well, I need money for rent," and, I'll, and even if I say, "Well, I don't have it right now," he goes, "Fine, I guess we'll just be homeless." There's always a little guilt statement, yeah. Dora. Uh-huh. Yeah. How long has he been doing this? Well, he'll get good for like six or seven months, and then it'll all fall apart. Is he working? So off and on, three years. Is he working? He has a job now, yes. He has a job. this year. 
he's been he's had a history of being pretty irresponsible. Yes. And his wife couldn't take it anymore. That would be my suspect. Yes. So now he's 28 and he is still being irresponsible and your fear is for your grandson. Correct. Yep. And your husband says don't do it anymore. And you say, yeah, but what about our grandson? And your husband says? Well, I don't want to let the little one to suffer either. But, I mean, there's just always a... <laughs> and I have a hard balance between being Christian. You know, you should always make sure that you take care of others. And my husband thinks, you've done your part. You've done enough. Yeah, being a Christian is not feeding into people's irresponsibility. Yeah. When our Lord talked about taking care of those who don't have, and he was talking about people who really, really didn't have. But then Paul, St. Paul said things like, let him who does not work not eat. Whoa! Mm -hmm. Hey, St. Paul, you're not being Christian there, are you? So basically what St. Paul was saying is, if you're capable, you need to take care of yourself. Now, do you have any inclination of where else he spends this money so that he's always needing you to pay for the essentials well he'll he'll um, he was out of a job for three months so i know that was part of it not having a job the other part running here he always is spastic in his driving around so he runs out of gas so then he puts more money into making sure he has the ability to run around then and all right, so he wants, he wants his entertainment. Rent. His entertainment comes first. Or impulsivity comes definitely first, then right. thinking ahead or planning down the road that you got to pay rent. In a well, week. a couple of things you got to judge. you got to judge whether always bailing him out is, in fact, helping your grandson. Because if that's the case, then you might as well just make up your mind you're going to bail him out for the next 14 years. If, in fact... You think there is a true risk to your grandson, you could say, well, he can come and live with us. Which your son will say, no, absolutely not. That's my son. Okay, he'll act like yes. Mr. Mr. Responsible Father. So you have to make a judgment here, Morgan, which is, am I doing more good by letting my son use us, or in fact, am I doing more harm? And even harm to your grandson. So that's a judgment you've got to make. And you can't say, if you say, no matter what, I can't let anything untoward in terms of, not danger, but in terms of lifestyle happen to Oliver, then then you might as well just give your son money whenever he asks for it. That's it. That's the way it is. Yeah. If, on the other hand, you say to yourself, you know, he's using us, and this is feeding into his irresponsibility, and this is going to hurt Oliver. It is. As long as he lives irresponsibly, it hurts Oliver. So you have to make a decision. Making that shift, mind shift that. Yeah. I mean, I did that with a couple Mm -hmm. of my kids. I decided that the things I did to help you out, you misused. So therefore, now we didn't have any grandkids involved. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. the the children that we have that have grandkids, uh, they're quite responsible. But if, in fact, you do that, that's it. Daddy's not doing this anymore. That's it. Zero. Zip. Nada. Not going to happen. And it's worked out the best because it forced them into being more responsible. I think Morgan could keep an eye upon 
what would happen if he comes to her and he says, I need more money, I need more money, and she doesn't do it? What would happen? He says, well, we're going to be homeless. Would they be homeless? Or would this young man essentially pull it together somewhat? We won't know that because as long as they continue to feed his irresponsibility, there's no reason for him to be more responsible. The fear, of course, and I see this from grandparents all the time, which is there's a grandchild involved. The grandchild is innocent. The grandchild is helpless. The irresponsible parent is doing all kinds of things. But here, here's, here's another, uh, I hate to use this cliche, fly in the ointment. Here's another qualification. What is dad using all that money for? So let's say that he says, we need rent money. Do you just give him cash and assume he's going to pay the rent? Or do you say, tell me who to send it to? If he says, well, I need money for food. There's ways he can get food. I mean, obviously, he can do things. How will he respond? See, at this point, we don't know because up to this point, they haven't made him act more responsibly. In fact, would he deteriorate completely and indeed the four-year-old would be neglected? And the poor little kid would barely have cereal to eat? I mean, I'm assuming Grandma can keep an eye on that. She does see this little guy so she can keep an eye on how it's unfolding. The other problem here is that there could be a marital clash. Up to this point, Grandpa is saying, I don't think we need to do this much anymore. But as it goes on, I think he's going to get more intense about his resistance. So Grandma might ask herself, where will we be a year from now if we continue to do this? Will he be any different? Will he say, thank you so much, Mom. You kept me on my feet. I don't really need the help anymore. I've got a job. I'm doing okay. I'm paying the rent. Things are going good. You know, you, you bailed me out during a tough time. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But it's less likely that that will happen than a year from now they'll still be linked up to giving him money. Grandma's got to decide. When you make a decision in your life, sometimes you don't have a good decision. You have a least bad, a lesser bad and her lesser bad decision, if she goes that way, might be to say, okay, that's it. We're three more months of support, and that's over. It's over. If, if little grandson is hungry, we'll feed him at our house. We will look for ways to get around dad's irresponsibility. 
I wrote a book on grandparents. It's called Being a Grandparent, the Same as Being a Parent, Only Different. And I talk about this in the book. I talk, what do you do when there's a grandchild on the scene and the irresponsible parent is counting on you to continue to fuel their irresponsibility because the implication is the grandchild will hurt. You can always keep an eye on it if you have contact with the grandchild. Now, in in a small percentage of cases, dads in this situation or moms could say, uh, you won't be seeing us anymore. That's it. You're not helping us. You're not seeing your grandson. Uh, that's always a possibility. So every decision we make comes with unpredictable risks. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We get what we look for. St. Therese of Lisieux has an interesting insight on this. Once in a discussion over the possibility of avoiding purgatory, the future saint told another member of her community, Sister Maria Fabronia, that God was more father than judge. And in this discussion, debate, she finally took the liberty of saying to the other sister, if you look for the justice of God, you will get it. The soul will receive from God exactly what she desires. Are we full of wounds and anger and hurt, and do we want to inflict that on other people? Are we allowing God to heal us? If we receive his mercy, we have to show it to others. The Beatitudes are the heart of Jesus' message. Let's be transformed by them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge by acquaintance is what St. Paul's talking here. We need to increase our acquaintance of God. What can we do to increase our knowledge of God? Well, study scripture, pray, fast. But here's the obvious question. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Or are you simply kind of staying stable? You're living off past encounters. When we speak of increasing our knowledge of God, as I said, you can read all the books you want about God and you'll have lots of information, but it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily become acquainted with him. We need to know God by acquaintance. And that's what lies at the heart of all true religion. Cresta in the Afternoon weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Giving you a remedial psychological education. 56 minutes of a psych aerobic workout, moving your IQ into the target zone, 70-85% of your max. The way you calculate your max. You know, they talk about your your uh, target heart rate zone as rough. This is very, very rough. You take uh, 220 minus your age. Say if you're 50 years old, 220 minus 50. So 170 is your maximum heart rate. So if you want to hunker between 70 and 85% of that, 
157. That's between 105 and some some top number, 85 percent of of 150. Well, if you have children, your target IQ rate, uh, target IQ, your maximum IQ is is down. It is down. So, just to just to just throw that out there for your pondering. See what we got here. We got Maria. She's calling from Pennsylvania. She has an adopted son who, and I, I don't recall his age, we'll find that out, wants to meet or maybe find birth mom. How old are your adopted children? Well, uh, the one is a freshman in college, and the other one is um, will be 12 in this year. Which one wants to uh, meet birth mom? Oldest one. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do about it? Well, this actually happened uh, a little while ago, and I was uh, not ready for it because I didn't think he was ready for it. It was in the middle of his senior year, applying to colleges, big change coming ahead, and um, I wasn't, I didn't think, my husband and I didn't think it was a good idea. Okay. So we, um, I actually called uh, Catholic counselors, and oh, this is why I want to hear your opinion too. You know, do we? And we kind of let it lie. Like we, we figured, okay, we'll just see if he brings it up again. So I'm really calling you because I'm trying to prepare for the day when he does bring it up again, because he's angry. And um, even though we tried to explain to him that, you know, short of dying for your child, this is what we believe that this is probably one of the greatest sacrifices a parent can do. And um, he's just, he almost wants to, uh, my impression is that he wants to talk to them and say, you know, how could you be so responsible? And he's angry. And, you know. He wants exactly. to let her have it. Yes. Uh-huh. Did you ask him? Is that what you want to do? Do you want to you want to question her? You want to critique her? You want to make her feel bad? Uh, yeah, and I think that's kind of the gist that I got. Well, there's a couple... Go ahead, dear. There's there's a couple I, things I, I to also, look at. I also, so I went on, and I'm like, "Well, it has think has life been bad for you?" And he's like, "Oh no, you know I'm, you know." And he went on to say, "How yeah, he's blessed and everything," but I, I yeah, I don't know. So, um, so I'm just trying to be prepared. I'm just calling you to to get fodder to be prepared for when he is going to bring it up again. You know, because I'm sure he will. Maybe not. I don't know. Maria, the assumption is that his birth mother wants to be found. We brought See, that up, too. Yeah, I, I think that's always a question. I've talked to a lot of birth moms who have placed their children for adoption many, many years ago. And they they don't want to reunite, not because they have any kind of neglect or hostility toward their birth child, but because they recognize their birth child has a life, their birth child has a family. They don't want to complicate the situation. They made that decision, as you say, out of love, and they moved on with life. So that's the first thing I think you ought to tell him. What makes you think that she wants to be reunited in some way? Uh, there is a registry in my state. I don't know about Pennsylvania. And basically, uh, you can look and see if the birth parent is on that registry. That, that in okay. fact, I'm available to, to reconnect if the child, when reaches the age of majority, wants to reconnect. We had... Okay. A couple of our children, two of the ten, express some kind of uh, reconnection when they became age of majority. 
the the one didn't work out at all. Oh my, that 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 reunification. Oh my, they just ran, ran as far as they could run. Uh, the other okay. one still has contact, but it's uh, it's very fragile in a lot of ways. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if he brings it up. You could say, well, okay, because you're 19 or you're 18 or 20, we can have you do this. But if your motive is to attack your birth mom, uh, we're not going to help you do that. We're just not going to help you do that. So at this point, you might want to say to him, if you're going to, out of curiosity or whatever is motivating you to do this, we got to make sure your motive is good to get our help. There has been a movement to, believe it or not, impugn adoption. Especially, I saw a number, a number of articles and opinion pieces after the Dobbs decision returning the abortion issue to the states, talking about how awful adoption is to a child that in fact there are wounds there because of betrayal because of uh, abandonment that will never heal now I'm sensing that this young man somehow somewhere has picked up the idea that his birth mom was was too irresponsible to raise him that her motive was selfish I don't want to be bothered with a kid that's what he's thinking I would also ask him I didn't get a chance to say this to Maria but I'd also ask him what do you think motivated her to place you for adoption you're assuming that whatever she did was selfish could it be anything else so that if and when you find her or contact her and you decide to tell her how wrong she was which is interesting that she was wrong because he says he has a beautiful life that this woman may not have had a choice she may have been 15 she may have been 14 one of my one of my uh, Children's ado- birth mother was 13. So what was her motive? Did you pick up that Maria had a little sense of surprise when I said that, uh, well, you're of the age of majority, so if you want to seek your mom out. Um, I, I don't know that they can stop him other than if they say we're not going to pay for your college. They could do that. But if they say, okay, you are of a certain age, we're not going to help you seek out a birth parent that you just want to lay into you just want to get angry at you just want to question we're not going to help you do that because this woman may have given you a fabulous gift this woman may have gone against her whole world to give you birth when everybody was saying abort 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 so i think his thinking is skewed She can try to reason with him and say, you're not thinking this through at all. You're coming at this from one perspective. And how how have you come to the conclusion that she was selfish as opposed to 
selfless, maybe even heroic. Can viewing art, even online, improve your health? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Viewing works of art can positively affect our well-being. Think of all the art we're surrounded by daily, in and out of church life. How about the beauty of nature, stained glass, and beautiful cathedrals, great works of art? The list goes on. According to a study, when participants view works of art, even on a screen, their mood is positively affected. Psalm 104 teaches us that God made the beauties of creation because He enjoyed them, and we should too. Think of it. You're on the road or you're stuck in your home, but you have access to a screen. Try viewing some great works of art. The possibilities for enhancing mental health and moods of seniors and those with health problems is immense. The study further suggests this brings us more pleasure in life. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on this at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. On this show and on this network and uh, in many of our other outlets that we have through Ave Maria Radio and EWTM, we're always going to keep you up to date on what's happening in terms of the culture and how toxic the culture is. Certainly, we talk about that uh, every week. So you can navigate the media landscape, so you can learn about the challenges and be well aware of them. That's one thing. We talk about religious liberty issues. We talk about the attacks, of course, on on the pro-life causes. We need to be aware of all that, which is why we talk about it. So we give you the tools, we give you the information, the research that we come up with as writers, as producers, as presenters, as talk show hosts, on and on and on. But at the end of the day, what do we need to do when we know this? We should be speaking out even more loudly and on a regular basis. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. If you have any problems, talk to me and I will help you. Dr. Ray Garindi, a graduate a high-level graduate of the Catholic Media's radio school of, um, well, I, I mean, you know, like um, articulation and stuff. Good to have you with me on this Look Back Friday. Let's go to Jack from uh, Washington, D.C., teenage daughter, uh, who, again, seems to be part of the accelerating numbers of young girls especially, teen girls especially, who are depressed, anxious, unhappy with life and themselves. How old is your daughter? Uh, she's 15 now. Hmm. We, uh, she was four when we got a divorce, and I think that that has a lot to do with it. And... Uh, I don't know. She uh, she had a bunch of friends in you know first kindergarten, first first grade and stuff, and she was you know very happy, 
punchy, smart, bright little kid, you know, pretty sensitive. But uh, after the divorce, I noticed the change, and I I tried to see him, you know, every other weekend, the visitation type thing anyway. but So uh, you're not raising her. I guess she got, she got in with some other kids that were, you know, kids of divorced parents. And anyway, she... Uh, some of the kids on the bus were cutting themselves, and she got she got caught up into that, and she got I I don't know if she started it or whether she, I think she was following anyway. She got kind of stigmatized, and you know uh, the school found out about it, and everybody found out about it. The school didn't even try to hush it up or anything, and anyway, so she lost all her friends, and she was kind of stigmatized for the next couple of years, and then uh, you know uh, after. Elementary school, for years of that, she, you know, I don't know, she probably hear this from my wife, but she tried to hang herself in the shower half-heartedly, and uh, so she got, you know, she got the attention, and she got help, and I don't know, it's just been a few years, and I never get straight answers out of my ex or her. I try not to broach the subject when I see her, because... I don't know all the ins and outs, and I don't push her, and she doesn't. She doesn't volunteer much. So you're trying and, to uh, influence just, this child, Jack, when you're not raising her. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, I guess the first time, uh, first time she went into one of those facilities for a week or whatever it was, I came in and uh, I gave her a little prayer book, and I told her, you know, a few things, and I, I said it in a nice way, but I mentioned that, you know, hey. Uh, <laughs> If you kill yourself, you know, I didn't say it quite like that, but, you know, it's kind of a one-way ticket to the bad place, and I've heard can nothing you, but grief can from you everybody talk in my to family your, since. Can you talk to your ex-wife about this? I talked to her yesterday when she told me after she was admitted again Monday, and I talked to her yesterday because I got a bunch of she's skipping class texts from the school. So I'm like, hey, what's up? Is she sick? And she told me that she's back in the facility. Would you say that your ex-wife has had a real difficult time raising her? Um, well, she works, and yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I would say, I mean, she has friends, family, and support, but uh, for the most part, I think she's left alone a lot. And, does, uh, your, does your daughter have a therapist? She's not close to her sister. She's not close to her brother. Does, you, does your daughter have a therapist? Yes, yes. She, she has okay. a school counselor. She's got a therapist. She's... All right. She's got the health. So and everything. I mean, they they had her on all kinds of various medications. Let me jump. Let me jump in here because we're gonna we're gonna bump up against a break. You will then probably have to ask your wife if you can have a more active role in your daughter's life. No, that's pretty much probably not going to happen. I mean, I'm. She won't let uh, you. You know your what daughter, I mean. Uh, just, your daughter won't visit you. My ex-wife hates my guts. So. <laughs> oh boy. And. uh you know, will, will your daughter know, will your daughter the, the visit you? Gotten estranged through the years too. Will your they, you know. Jack? Will your daughter visit you? No, I tried to get her to visit, but okay. she'll go have lunch with me and stuff like okay. that. Okay, well then do that. Have some. Well, I have try some, to do that, but okay, that's really what you I can just, do. I don't know. I just got it. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm more religious now. I was raised Catholic Good. and. Uh, Tried to raise the kids Catholic somewhat, but I wouldn't. I didn't make them go to church all the time. Didn't make them go okay. to. Only made one of them go to see. Right, I'm, I'm going to let you go here because it's a very complex situation that you really have no power. She doesn't want to see you. Your ex-wife basically probably poisons her against you. So, and she already has a therapist, and she's already spent some time in an inpatient. So, 
this sounds like a very discontented young lady with life. And there's just a ton of those out there right now. If you look at the statistics, the teens and young adults are at depressive rates and anxiety rates higher than ever recorded. There's a lot of reasons for this, and there's no doubt in my mind that your daughter has probably had a smartphone for the last several years, which is certainly not a help. So given all that, I think the one thing you can do is spend a little more time, if you can, going out to lunch with her, talking with her, seeing what's going on in her life, because every other way, um, her mother is is raising her, and you have uh, very little input on a day-to-day basis anyway. The dirty little secret is that individual counseling is not all that effective with kids like Jack's daughter. She's unhappy. She followed the crowd. She's probably been allowed to be raised by social media, by the smartphone, by the culture, by TV, by movies. So that's pretty much told her how she's supposed to think. And, of course, in thinking the way the culture thinks, you have a much higher chance of being depressed or anxious. That's a pretty clear relationship. Secular research supports it. So Jack is saying, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? The very sad thing about this is that he's not able to do much. Uh, He can visit with her at lunch, talk with her a little bit. It's about the limits, at least. Now, it could deteriorate. I've seen this happen a lot between the daughter and her mother. That could deteriorate. That the daughter becomes even more out of control that the mother can't handle. I, it's a funny thing. I'm, as a psychologist, I'm saddened, but I, how do I say this? I, I inure myself to the tragedy of the way so many of our children are being raised. I can't do much about it. My goal is to help whatever parents I can to be better parents. That's where it all begins. The love, stability, presence of two parents in the home. It is overwhelmingly true that that is the best place for a kid to be raised to the degree that doesn't happen and to the degree that that child is permitted to basically soak in the culture the odds of this kid making a shambles of his or her life go up dramatically dramatically I see people in my office in their 20s and 30s who are living really unhappy lives they've got a divorce or they've had multiple failed relationships or they can't hold a job or they're depressed or they're struggled or alcohol is intruding and as I ask and explore a little bit about their roots very much of the time this all this all really came to flower if you want to use that word in their teens 
They were just unhappy, unguided, miserable teens. And as Jack's daughter has experienced, he didn't say this, but I don't doubt that she already has a number of diagnoses attached to her because they're trying to explain what's wrong with her internally. But, in fact, her internals are probably as good as yours and mine. The problem is she did not get the kind of stability and guidance to help her navigate what's been pulling on her from every direction. One other point I want to make about this, and I think this is also why I set this aside as a look-back call. He said she started cutting because she saw other kids cutting. It's true. I don't know if cutting is quite the widespread phenomenon that it was 10, 12, 15 years ago. But it clearly had a, a mimicking component. I see other kids do this. I see other girls do this. I, I'm going to do it. 30 years ago, it was unheard of. Unheard of. So if, in fact, cutting is some kind of internal disruption that manifests itself in self-harm, why was it? not there in the vast majority of the history of our culture because the imitation component was not there. What else presently has a high imitation component that the professionals are ever only so slowly coming to acknowledge? We look at cutting and we say, yeah, oh my gosh, that, that really gained momentum. Tattoos, look at tattoos, boy, they've exploded. Why? Imitation, imitation, social norms, social norms. Well, now there's something else, much more potentially long-range troublesome for kids. But the issue of imitation has not yet been brought up or looked at with any seriousness, even though... In the past, similar types of group behavior were acknowledged to have a heavy imitation component. I'm Dr. Ray. Church Pop takes a fresh and fun look at the news shaping our world, featuring engaging, inspiring, and informative Catholic social media content. Find it on Snapchat, Instagram, and on the web at churchpop.com. And you can get Church Pop emailed directly to your inbox. Visit EWTN.com and click subscribe. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. Tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. 
over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to seatonhome.org. That is seatonhome.org. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Our generation is the first in human history to widely reject that life has any overarching purpose. Morality is considered relative, and we're even uncertain about what it means to be a man or a woman. Catholics at this time need to be awake, not woke. Sit down with Renewal Ministries' Peter Herbeck and I for an extended conversation with Noel Maring, author of Awake, Not Woke. It's available on the Renewal Ministries' YouTube page or in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Good to have you with me, Dr. Ray Gurendi. Well, I got a look back call. It's two minutes and 11 seconds long. It's a short one. It's a very, very short one. A woman who called in said that being diagnosed with cancer had changed her outlook on life. I don't have time. Just got about a couple minutes left here, so I'm going to save it for future. But a few weeks ago, we had a call from a woman who had been hit with three deaths of very close people. A husband, I believe it was a child, an adult child, and uh, there was one other. And she said what that did to her is it altered her whole perspective on what she allowed to upset her. Prior to those deaths, she said that she was one who got upset over little things, who worried about what other people thought, about matters that were trivial. And those deaths rattled her so much that she, she shifted totally her view on what matters and what doesn't matter. And we said, well, we... We hope and pray for those people that you know, because she would get frustrated with people who would be upset over these little things. Hope and pray that those people that you know would come to alter their own perspectives without having to get hit that hard by life. I had a mother whose little nine-year-old daughter died of leukemia. And she told me it was very hard, very hard to listen to other parents talk about their frustrations little frustrations, day-to-day frustrations with their children because she thought all I would want is to have my daughter back to have those frustrations. I guess what I could say to you too is be careful who you're talking to about your frustrations because if it's somebody who's really had some hard hits in life and you're talking about the fact that the pool chairs haven't come in for the 4th of July get-together, be aware be aware how that might sound to them. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ray Garendi. Program Doctor is in. Variant. Look back Friday. Hopefully. Talk to you Monday. Thanks, you Andrew Crew. Check. Thanks, yeah. I don't know if that's a word. 
walk with God. He'll, he'll keep your perspective up. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.